Hello, and welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. I'm Jim Pugh. And in this episode, Jim had an excellent conversation with Stanford professor Juliana Biraranure. Yeah, I had an opportunity to talk with Juliana about some interesting ideas that might actually serve as alternatives to universal basic income. And she also was able to share some exciting news about developments at Stanford University itself related to basic income. So without further ado, this is Jim Pugh and Juliana Biraranure on the Basic Income Podcast. Juliana, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. I'm really happy to be here. So to start out with, can you just tell us a little bit about the work that you do? So I've been working on issues of inequalities between generations uh, for the past few years. And I started becoming interested in basic income as I was working on benefits in England, income support in England and France for young adults. And I was particularly interested in how lower benefits for these age groups were justified. So we're seeing a lot more discussion about basic income over the last year, year and a half now, people starting to take it much more seriously as a possible solution for the changing nature of our economy and changing nature of our society. But there are a few other proposals out there for different ways of approaching that, different ways of helping to provide people with with more support. One of those is a jobs guarantee giving people, everyone, an opportunity for a job. Another is basic capital. And I know you've done a fair amount of research on that topic. Can you tell us what is basic capital? Okay, so basic capital is one of the main, uh, I would say, adversaries of basic income because it shares many features with it. It's also individual, it's also unconditional, and it's also universal. But whereas basic income is given to people in monthly installments, so in in regular installments, sometimes it varies, sometimes it's every two weeks, sometimes it's every few months. So there are different proposals, but basic income has to be in regular installments. Basic capital, on the other hand, is also unconditional cash, but even as one reaches adulthood. But the idea is that if we are going to empower individuals and trust them to do trust them to do the right thing or the thing that's right for you with cash, then there is no real reasons for basic capital proponents to do that in monthly installment. We should just give them a lump sum at the beginning of their adult life and they can make all sorts of plans. Like They can use it to go to college, they can use it to buy a house, they can use it to do pretty much what they want. And for basic capital proponents, a basic income unnecessarily restricts the scope of what people can actually do with cash. I know one reason that some people are favoring basic capital is looking at it from the perspective of accruing wealth. That if you see a lot of the inequality today, You can attribute a lot of it to not just income, but wealth that not just individuals, but families have accrued over time. And looking at basic capital as something that addresses the wealth gap as opposed to just the income gap. Any thoughts around that? So I think that's definitely right. And that's why, even though I think it's fair to say that basic income has won the art of activists and that basic capital is not talked as much as basic income, I think there is really something to be said in favor of the redistribution of wealth. So Tomek Pikti's work, for example, if it has achieved one thing among many, is that it's made us more aware that we need to focus on inequalities of wealth and not just redistributing income. So I think in that sense, basic capital seems to be more destructive and more promising maybe from the perspective of egalitarian justice. However, I think there are many problems with basic capital. One of the problems is the problem of what has come to 
be described as state blowing. So people, there are many different ways in which people can use $80,000 and not get interesting returns over time. So, you know, you can think of a very imprudent person just wasting their capital in something bad, let's say, just in playing games. And then, of course, they are left with nothing for the rest of their life. And so if what you really care about is people not being marginalized, not being oppressed, not being exploited or abused, then it's very scary to think that people can just blow their stake and then be left with nothing. So I think that's one of the reasons why people are very skeptical and worried about basic capital. Of course, I don't think that most people would do that. I think a very, very small portion of the population would actually waste their capital. But there are many, many ways in which you can waste or lose your stake, even by doing the right thing, by doing the very prudent thing. So you can use it to go to college and then get a degree um, in, let's say, communications or in media or in arts, and then not get a job afterwards. That happens to millions of graduates. So I think that the problem is we, we don't know. I mean, the future is full of uncertainties, and the future of work is full of uncertainties. So just thinking that by giving people a stake as they reach adulthood, we will solve the problem of poverty and precarity and oppression, I think is, is a very naive view. So I'm all in favor of redistributing wealth, but I just think we shouldn't oppose busy income on the one hand with basic capital. I think we need to find a way to deliver basic income as a baseline of our social uh, safety net schemes. But I think that there is a way, actually quite a, a clever and interesting way, to build basic capital into this basic income baseline. So in the UK, the Labour government and Gordon Brown in particular have been introducing something called the Child Trust Fund, which when the Conservatives came into power, they took away straight away. But I think it was a really interesting idea, which is entirely compatible with being Basic income. So the idea is whenever a baby is born, you start a baby bond. Right? So you put, let's say, 250 pounds into an account, which will serve as a trust fund. And when that child reaches 18, they have a basic capital. So the idea is that you can think of basic income as a right of existence that people get from the moment they are born until until their death. But in for children, instead of getting a basic income directly into them, they get it half uh, in the form of child benefits that go to their parents. And then the second half goes gets invested in a kind of a baby bond or child trust fund. And once they reach 18, they can retrieve their basic capital, but they carry on receiving basic income on a monthly basis. So I think that's a way to accommodate kind of the disruptive and powerful uh, potential, egalitarian potential of basic capital without compromising what we really care about when we care about basic income, which is making sure that people will never fall below a threshold for a minimally decent life throughout their entire existence. And so I think we should carry on focusing on basic income as a right of existence, but there is a way to build in that within the basic income scheme itself. So let's go back to the idea of a jobs guarantee. Right now in the U.S., it seems like even as the labor space is being disrupted by technology, by globalization, there's actually quite a bit of work that needs to be done. We have crumbling bridges and roads across the country. So when thinking about a basic income with no requirements as to how you spend your time versus the jobs guarantee, where you actually have some sort of government-targeted focus on the work that people would do, how do those compare and contrast to you? What are, what are the advantages or disadvantages? So I think what the proposals for job guarantees tell us and push us to do is to take very seriously the right to work. 
right? So what people want is to be able to contribute to society, make contributions to society, and be recognized by the other members of society for what they do. No one can be happy, uh, or at least few people can be happy in our current societies with our social norms, with the idea of just not having a job, living on a handout, and not having the opportunity to meaningfully contribute. So I think that's what people who believe in job guarantees are pushing us to, to accept. And I think that basic income proponents need to be very clear on how they think what they are fighting for, which is the right to an income, articulates with what you know social democrats have been fighting for over and over again, which is the right to work. Now, I think I would follow Guy Standing's argument on this, which is that a prior right to an income is a requirement for a meaningful right to work. And I really generally believe this. So you're going to be teaching a class on basic income student at Stanford, which is very exciting, seeing how much progress and how much more discussion there is on the topic now than mm-hmm. even 12 months ago. Tell us about that. What are, you, what are you planning there? What's going to be covered? What are your goals? So I'm very excited about this class. It's going to be called The Philosophy of Basic Income. And the idea is to look at the different schools of thoughts that have engaged with basic income, either you know, to provide arguments in support of basic income or arguments against basic income. So we are going to, for example, one week, we are going to do um, the libertarian arguments for and against basic income, both right libertarian and left libertarian. So uh, we are both going to look at arguments that see basic income as a way to replace the welfare state and so that would be more on the right libertarian side and arguments that have to do with the idea of providing real freedom for individuals by making sure that they have a right to economic security or we're going to spend the week discussing feminist arguments for and against basic income so the arguments for basic income from a feminist perspective I mentioned them before but are the idea that we need to make sure that carers are remunerated but also that we need to make sure that people are able to exit abusive relationships within the family. But there are also feminist arguments against basic income. So, for example, the idea that it might entrench gender roles and gender norms in society by having an impact on women withdrawing from the labor market. So right now, the evidence coming from pilots shows the opposite. It's not actually the case that women withdraw from the labor market when they are being given basic income, but that's one of the concerns that has been discussed and raised. And then we are going to do a week on the ethics politics of basic income experiments. We are probably going to do a week on racial justice in basic income. So can we have reparation and universalism at the same time? What are the challenges and the advantages and disadvantages in going one way or another? Yes, this is kind of the idea of the class. So in addition to this class, there's also a basic income initiative that's going to be happening at Stanford, correct? That's exactly right. So given that we are going to start this new class on basic income, we thought that we would organize a number of public events around it. So we'll have one on the 8th of February on the topic of uh, basic income experiments. So it's not announced yet, but that's something we are really looking forward to. And then around those events, we are going to start what we are provisionally calling a basic income initiative, which is stemming from the Center for Ethics in Society at Stanford. And what we want to do is organize a number of events over the years on basic income, organize and make sure that we have more classes on basic income, interdisciplinary classes. We might have an interdisciplinary workshops that involves faculty throughout the university and students. Then we might start a basic income library as well, make sure that we have all the available research readily accessible on campus. So those are some of the things that we are planning to do, but we are still at the very early stages of that. That was Jim Pugh and Juliana Bidadanori on the Basic Income Podcast. Super excited about the Stanford class. I can't attend myself, of course, but I'm just excited that it's happening. 
it's interesting to see and really exciting that basic income has already made so many strides in the last year. We have this class initiative at Stanford. Hopefully they'll just be the first university of many that's seriously pursuing the idea. Yeah, and yeah, we're seeing more and more spaces where this is being treated as a serious idea. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Basic Income Podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher now as well. We'll talk to you next week.